Well, good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and man, so good to be worshiping with you guys. Thank you to the band for leading us like that. Um, man, I'm excited. So, um, so here's this is one of those uh, situations that you know we've all had where you're associate pastor is supposed to preach and then he gets sick the day before so you guys know how it is um so i say that to lower the bar significantly and then we're just going to raise it all together okay um no i'm just kidding we um we, we uh well let me explain we're going through this series um on family on a mission and the idea is that we are a family we're a church family we love and care for each other and we're trying to do something together and now we're trying to be clear on defining what is that thing that we're trying to do together? What, what's the, like, how are we pinpointing that? How are we identifying that? And what does it look like for us to move together in that direction? So what we uh, did is we started by saying um, our mission is our, we seek to glorify God through finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. So we talked about that, man. It's all about God's glory. And it's all about just like the branch tied into that vine. That's us with Jesus. We're finding that life in Jesus. That's what sustains us. That's what gives us purpose. That's what just keeps us moving and growing in all the ways that God wants us to do. But it's not just us as individuals do that, doing that. We're finding life in Jesus together. And so we're saying this is what it is. We are a family that does this together, and we're constantly inviting other people to do and, and experience that same thing that we're finding in Jesus. Um, now, we talked last week. Our first value is um, that we are shaped by the gospel in everything. And so that message that Jesus has laid himself down for us to, to forgive us our sins, to give us salvation, to give us hope and healing and life, that is the, the, the thing that shapes us, not just in what we think, but in who we are and how we live. Um, and also not just that message in its simplest form, but also the whole counsel of God, the word of God, just speaking into us, shaping us, making us who he's called us to be. Now, our next value, our second value is that we foster a culture of love and invitation. And this is a really beautiful value that we're not going to talk about this morning because this is Pastor Nathan's, and I am so excited for you guys to get to hear his heart specifically on this one. So what we're doing this morning instead is our third value. We're skipping ahead. We each use our gifts as God empowers us. So now it occurred to me that we could have just like, you know, we are just rolling these out. Why couldn't uh, using our gifts as God empowered been number two instead of number three? But nope, number three today, number two, I couldn't bring myself to do it, and I don't know why. So... We're jumping into number, th number three, and then next week we're back to number two, and, um, and I don't doubt that it'll make perfect sense that way. So I'm excited about um, talking about this kind of a thing because here's the thing. So when our girls were really little, they, they're like crafters, they're artists, they're doing all kinds of stuff. When they were really little, they would make stuff, and you'd be like, oh, um, you know, what are you working on, you know? You, you couldn't tell based on, I mean, I don't want to disparage my kids in front of all of you guys, but... You couldn't tell from what they were working on what the thing was, right? Now that they're older, right, and they're growing up, it's like, okay, it's very clear what it is, and they're getting creative, and there's skill and everything else. I, I feel like for us as a church, um, you could ask any church, like, what are, you, what are you trying to do as a church, you know? Like, what's, what, like what is this thing you're trying to make? And I, I can kind of picture God just like, okay, like I maybe you can kind of see, like, what you're going for there. Like, what is it that you're actually going for? I think we, we have a tendency to muddle it, and so I'm excited for it to come clear, and this third value, um, I am so excited about the idea that um, we each use our gifts as God empowers us. I think this is so, so vital to who I believe God's calling us as a church family to be. I think that's, it's true for the church, like, period, capital C, across the board. That's what he wants for us, and I'm so excited as Creekside Church to say 
like this is like specifically as we're finding life in Jesus, one of the things that we value most in that is that we're all having this culture of empowerment, that we're sharing that together. Now, there, we can see that from, we, we went through the summer, John 13 to 17, we've been pulling so much of who we are from this. This idea of empowerment is absolutely in there. God is giving the spirit to his people. He's sending them, them out to, into the world to continue his mission. So that empowerment is all in there. Um, but I'm going to pull it this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, um, because to me, this is like the most powerful way to look at it. These are amazing verses. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to look like verses 1 to 16. It's way too much. So I'm not going to pull a ton out of each section, but I want us to see the flow of thought that Paul is pulling on here um, because, man, it's just so beautiful what he's calling us to. So the first six verses here. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, powerful start to this whole thing. Paul is talking about we've been made one together. So we, as a, as a body, as a church family, we've been made one together. And I love the way he presents this. So he's saying, um, he's talked about all these amazing things about what God's done. He's, Jesus has sacrificed himself. He's created this new person in place of the two warring people, the Jews and Gentiles. And he said all these amazing things in Ephesians. And here he's saying, now, in light of all this, I want you to walk in a, way, a manner that's worthy of the calling that you've received. So we've received this calling. Okay, let's walk in a way that's worthy, okay? Now, if you ask good American Christians, okay, what does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? I think we could come up with things like we're going to be like powerful proclaimers of the gospel. We're going to be powerful evangelists. We'll be leading people to the Lord. We're going to create churches that, that get big and, and impressive. And like we can think of all kinds of good American, successful, awesome, movemental types of things, right? But what does Paul say? Walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And what is that going to look like for him? It's extremely unimpressive, but at the same time, I think very impressive. So what does it look like in verse 2? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we've been called with this amazing salvation, this amazing gift of new life in Christ. So walk worthy of that. Be worthy of this calling. What's it going to look like? It's not accomplishments. It's not achievements. It's not anything big or impressive that we build. He says it looks like a spirit of humility that permeates the whole thing. It's patience in the way that you interact with each other. And it's maintaining the unity of the spirit in that bond of peace. And this is so beautiful. What he's saying is we have been given a unity in the spirit. So we saw this in John 17 where Jesus is talking about how he wants his followers to be one in the same way that he is one with the Father and with the Spirit. Like there's this oneness. He wants us to be completely one. So there's this unity that we have in the Spirit that exists. It belongs to us. It's ours already. But he's saying, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. See, it's ours. It's a gift that's given to us. But we have to work really hard. We have to be eager. We have to devote ourselves, invest ourselves in maintaining that unity of spirit bound together um, in this bond of peace. Like it's a hard thing, and our calling is to preserve and to protect that unity, that oneness, that coming together with everything that makes us different, everything that makes us unique, and everything that makes us difficult individually to come together to do something together that we can't do on our own. 
And to undergird that, Paul gives us seven ones, okay? If you can hear how much that's repeated in these verses, in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over all. And then he keeps repeating all, um, who is in all and through all. So this is a point that he's making. Oneness, oneness, oneness. These are these seven ones. Seven is like a number of completeness in scripture. You can go through Revelation, you see there's like seven bowls and seven trumpets, and it's all this picture of like fullness and completion. And so he's given us seven ones. And so if you can imagine, he's giving us the basis now for our unity. This is what binds us together. So unity is so important for Paul in this passage that he's going to repeat it seven times. And he gives us seven items that are going to be the basis for what joins us together. And what, what is on that list is hugely significant. But I will say this. What's missing from the list is also pretty significant. So out of seven times he had to say, this is what is most important. These are the seven things that really bind you together, right? What does he not list on that whole thing? What's missing? Well, he doesn't mention um, complete doctrinal unity. He just doesn't, right? He doesn't mention we have, we have, we're one in interest. We all think the same way and we care about the same stuff. Nope, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say we're all one in our political leanings. We all kind of think the same way about what's happening around us. No, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say we're all the same ethnicity and we all kind of have the same culture that we get along with. Nope, he does not say that either. He doesn't say that we're one in our natural affinities for each other, right? So bottom line, he's saying there's, there doesn't have to be really anything that binds us together naturally, right? We don't have to be the kind of people that would naturally hang out together, right? Just like in high school when you have the jocks and you have the skaters and you have whatever, there's the natural affinity, but that's not anything that he lists, right? What is he saying binds us together? It is one body. That's us, right? One, one body. We're joined together as people. One body, okay? One spirit. So it's the spirit of the Lord that is the same for all of us. It's binding us together. We were called to the one hope that belongs to our call. So that, that one hope, we're all looking in the same direction for, man, we're going to be saved. As that, as that time comes when the Lord's coming, he's going to bring us home to be with him. That is the one hope that we all have together. There is one Lord, which is Jesus, who is the basis for our unity. There's one faith. It's our commitment. It's our allegiance. It's our belief in him. That is um, binding us all together. One baptism. So as each of us as individuals have, have gone to the Lord and said, just as you died and were buried and rose again, I want to follow you in, in laying myself down, going beneath the water and coming up and just saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm alive in you. And he's saying, there's one baptism that we share, right? This is the waters that we've all entered through to get here. And then, of course, there's one God and Father who's over all and fills all and is in all. This beautiful picture of what binds us together. And, man, it is so deeply profound. But what happens is, I think very often in the church, and I see this in my own life, and I, I'm, I've been trying for years to kind of repent to this and move into something healthier, I find myself this list of seven really important, one unifying things I keep adding items to the list myself, and I think we do that, don't we? We add items to the list. We've got to agree on this as well. We've got to be the same in this area as well. Otherwise, how could we possibly be in the same room and worship together, right? So I don't know if you remember like 15, 20 years ago, but those of us that lived through church life then, it was the whole like worship wars. And like, you're telling me that you want me to sit in the same worship center and sing praise songs instead of hymns with these people? Like, no way. I'm finding a new church, right? We split over that kind of thing. Um, Free will versus predestination. Man, we split over that. Like, it just, you name it, man, in the church, and, and, and we've seen it all recently, too, and there's all just kinds of political drama and 
social drama and stylistic drama and so many things that we just kind of tack on to Paul's list of seven. And what happens is we then move those things up to the top and say, actually, these things kind of matter more to us than Paul. These, these seven things that you listed that make us united. And we kind of lift it up. And I'm telling you, I think, it makes, I think it makes God sad. I think it makes God sick to look at his church and just to see how, how, um, how little we think of the unity of the spirit, how, how little we care for the bond, that, that, that combination, that, that bringing together that he's purchased with his blood. We, we care so little about it. And I, I want to say, I think it grieves the spirit of God. And, and the reason I say that, there's a couple times in scripture where it talks about how the spirit of God or God himself can be grieved by human beings, here's one of them. So if you look down in chapter 4 of Ephesians 4, you look down at verse 29, he calls us to let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only what is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And here he says it, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, and instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Like, wh what does it look like for us to grieve the Spirit of God? It's to look at the unity that he produces. It's, it's the unity of the Spirit. He's the one that produces this unity. It's to look at that and say, I don't care about it, right? To look at the people that he's binding us together to and saying, I don't care about them. This thing, whatever it is, this thing is more important to me than all that. And so then we go our own way, and the church becomes fractured, and, and we stop working together, and we become this isolated groups. Um, and I just think it grieves the heart of the Lord. Now, that's the oneness. That's the unity that he's purchased for us. Why? What is this oneness going to do? It goes a step further, and here he goes in verse 7. I don't want to read through 7 to 11 here. Um, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and here he's going to quote from Psalm 68, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I'm going to pause right there in the middle of the sentence, okay? So here's this picture that he's giving us of this grace of the Lord that was given to us. Um, according to the measure of Christ's gifts, he's given us this grace. And so he gives this picture of Christ descending, and, and I believe that this means like Jesus came to this earth to be with us. So he descended to be with us, to live amongst us, to model what it looks like to follow after um, God and everything else. Um, he laid down his life and sacrificed for us. He was killed, and then he ascended. He went back to the Father, right? Um, all rule and power and authority and everything else. So Jesus descended, and then he ascended. But then there's this there's this kind of second descent in here in a way that's kind of um, that's kind of in there, which is this. Rather than coming back to earth himself, Jesus also kind of handed out gifts to the people that are down here, to us down here below, right? So he came down, he was with us, and his body, the body of Christ was literally on the earth. Then he ascended and went to the heaven, and then, and then once he was there and filling all things, he then gave gifts to men. It's like he's dealing out these gifts, these little pieces of himself, right? His joy, his love, his encouragement, his ability to teach. And he's handing out these gifts to all of us, obviously through the Spirit of God. But it's like the first descent was he was here in his body. Then he ascends and then he says, okay, now I'm going to put myself in all of you. And you all together are going to be like me on the earth. But you can't do it as individuals. No one of us is fully like Jesus. You have to do it together as a body. 
It's a beautiful picture. And so it's these gifts that God gives to people. And then he even in verse 11 there kind of talks about how certain people God has given as gifts to the church. So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, these are like gifts also that the Lord has given these people. And what is their role? What is their call? They're, they're to help build into something that God is trying to do. So we have these gifts, and I, I think this is such a good, important, beautiful reminder. We have these gifts. Because look, I, I know what it's like. You, you live your life, and you do your thing, and you feel like your schedule is too full. You feel like you're not living up to um, what anyone demands of you. You're not even like pleasing your own family or even yourself, really. And, and you kind of just feel like, I'm part of a thing, but I'm not that important of a part of a thing. There's a tendency to feel that way. Or on the flip side, you feel like you're God's gift to like whatever, and that's problematic in a whole different way, right? But the, but the beauty is God has given all these gifts to his people, right? He's handed them out. And these gifts, okay, when I give a, a gift to my daughters at Christmas time, like so much of the heart behind that is like, well, this is going to make them happy, right? You know, so I'm giving them a thing that's going to make them happy. They're going to be excited. Um, but these gifts are gifts that come with a purpose. So I was thinking this week about um, the gifts. So if you think of Chronicles of Narnia, always a safe bet for, you can't always reference Harry Potter, but Chronicles of Narnia, you always can. And, uh, and so there's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and weirdly, C.S. Lewis brings Father Christmas into there. Do you guys remember that part? So Father Christmas comes, and he's giving gifts to the children, okay? So to Peter, he gives a sword and a shield, and to Susan, he gives a bow and an arrow, and to Lucy, he gives this little um, cordial that will heal whatever. And so there's these gifts that make them feel special, and they are, like, given these things, but of course, they're gifts with a purpose, and in case you haven't gotten around to reading Chronicles of Narnia yet, um, they end up using those gifts um, in a way that helps them do something important. I don't want to spoil it for you guys. I know you're just about to pick it up and read it. So, <clears throat> But it's gifts with a purpose, right? And I think, man, what a beautiful picture of the church, right? It's these gifts that the Lord gives us. And he gives us things like encouragement and um, administration and teaching and, um, and just all these gifts that he, like, pours into his people. And then he gives these gifted teachers and and apostles, and prophets, and these kinds of people, and he just gives it all to his church, not just so that we'll be happy, not just so that we can kind of knock ourselves out with how cool our own gifts are, but so that we can do something bigger in the midst of the church. And see, when, when I step back and I say, okay, what does this look like at Creekside? What does this mean for us as a people? I think we're saying, okay, look, one of our values is that we each use our gifts as God empowers. It's us saying, okay, the Lord has empowered us all of us, right? So we want to then be people that foster a culture where we see that empowerment in ourselves, we see that empowerment in each other, and then we turn to each other and we begin becoming empowerers as well, right? Your, your power comes from the Spirit of God, and we want to empower you, like, yes, use that spirit empowerment that you have for the blessing of the body. So what does it look like for us? If we were to tap into each using our gifts as the, the Spirit of God empowers us, I think on one level it looks like um, when we extend an invitation and say, hey, we need people to serve in whatever way. Um, I would love to see us be a group of people that just accept those invitations, right? So poor Lisa, when she comes up here for, you know, the, the 50th time, she's not coming this morning, don't worry, um, and says, we need people to invest in the lives of our kids, right? Say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I am or I'm not great with kids, but like the Spirit of God empowers me, and so we accept that invitation. Or when we say, we need people for the band, or we need people to greet, or we need people to um, go into the neighborhood and serve, or whatever, um, to say like, yeah, okay, you're calling for that, you're calling for small group leaders, you're calling for something, um, I will accept that invitation, and I will do it, okay? 
But I also want us to think broader than that. Not just, like, I obviously definitely want you to say yes when I ask you to do something. But also, I want us all to be thinking outside of, like, the official church structures. I think sometimes in the church we get really hamstrung because we, we value a couple of gift sets in the church. And, and the, the church, modern church structures kind of emphasize a few different gift sets. And then everything else is just kind of optional, um, downplayed, not really looked forward or valued. And so um, as we do this, I want us to kind of think, man, not just in the church, but in any way, what's the empowerment of the Spirit? So I want to, I didn't ask Laura's permission, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be cool. So my wife, Laura, um, I've seen her for the last like seven years, just like um, blossom, grow, and, and just seeing the Spirit of God work through her as she's kind of discovered her gifting as in hospitality. Um, in hospitality, it's like, it's crazy how it's, it's listed as like a, um, qualification for an elder, which I think is crazy. It's, it's like listed as this like fruit of the spirit, like gifting of the spirit. But for her, I mean, she's an introvert, so she's not going to be the one that's like up in front, like dancing and yapping at everybody, right? But she's found, like she is so good at creating environments where people can come and they can feel like they belong and they can enjoy themselves and connect with each other. And it's like, I, I really think it's the spirit of God, like supernaturally just bringing that on her. And over the last like seven, eight years, we've just seen the ministry fruit of that. I mean, the way that God has worked in lives through her hospitality gifts and those settings that she helps to create, it's amazing. And so what, what that looks like is not the church coming and saying, would you be an official hospitality person for us? No, it's just the Spirit of God awakening something in her and her following that and then beginning to see like, wow, that makes a difference. That makes an impact and it's, it's changing things. And I just, I look around and I just think, man, all of these gifts, and it would be impossible for me to sit here or the elders to sit here and kind of think, okay, uh, this gift here, this gift here, this gift here. No, instead, following the prompting of the Spirit of God and saying, every single one of you, empowered, like supernatural power is placed within you for a purpose. And so asking the question, okay, Lord, how will you use it? Whether the church is officially asking me to do a certain thing or not, how can I look around and use those things? I mean, we've seen so many examples of that, and I think it's beautiful. So rather than starting with, what does church leadership need me to do? Just start with, okay, how has God empowered me and, and what is he inviting me into? And let's find those things. And I think the reminder is, in the kingdom of God, the smaller things are always the bigger things. In, in, our, in our world, in our thinking through, we think, okay, if we wanted to build a strong church, what we need is we want a, a Francis Chan level preacher to preach. We want a Chris Tomlin level worship leader. And I'm sure there's a name more contemporary than that than I could have used, but there it is. <clears throat> Um, there's a John Piper level person that we want to form our theology, right? And so we kind of like think through these big, impressive gifts that would make for a strong church, right? But I'm just telling you, man, if I could have three insanely powerful people like that versus like a room full of people with smaller, more ordinary gifts that are empowered by the Spirit of God, I would say every time, that's the strongest church. The smaller gifts spread more broadly. Like th that makes the more powerful church because it's all of these opportunities for the Spirit of God to just work and nudge and move and, and shake our, our church family and shake our community and our world because he's working in all these different ways. And so, man, that is um, my heart is that in the kingdom, the small things are the big things and anything that we offer up to God, anything we hold um, and kind of place in his hands is just such a huge, powerful thing. And now what's the point? Okay, so here we go. Verses 12 to 16. There's a lot in here, but he's giving all the purpose statements here. So he's given all these gifts, and he's given these faithful um, people, the apostles and prophets, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so notice, right, it's not the gifted 
apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers that are doing the ministry. No, they are equipping the saints, which is all of us, for better or worse, we're the saints. We don't look to anybody else. It's us who do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what is Jesus equipping us for? What is this, like, his plan, his intention of giving us all these gifts? What is the purpose? It's so that we would do the work of ministry. It just means serving and blessing the people around us. It means investing in the people that we see, right? It's for the building up of the body. So what's interesting here, it's fascinating to think, what is being built up? We're building Christ's body, which is fascinating, right? Because there was a time, as I was saying, where Christ's body was on the earth, and you could walk up, and you could see Jesus, and he could speak to you, right? And he could serve you, bless you, heal you, right? But he's saying, I think what the idea is, Christ has gone, he's ascended to the Father, but he's left his body behind, in a sense, in us, okay? And so it's more like, I don't know what it is, it's a more like transformer version of Jesus' body or something, or Power Rangers, I'm not totally sure, I never really was into that, but it's the kind of thing where we all are little pieces of Christ's body, and in the same way that Christ's body was here healing and teaching and offering hope and doing all these things, he's saying, no, my body is here. I've planted all these little gifts in all of these little people, and they're going to come together, and only together are they Christ's body working in the world. So I think, what is the purpose? He has made us one, and he's empowered us so that we can be the miraculously empowered and reconstituted body of Christ in the world. And I'm saying that weird, but I'm saying it like every word in there makes so much sense in my mind, and I hope it comes through. A miraculously reconstituted body of Christ, all empowered and coming together and living in the world. Jesus is alive and working in the world today, in our community today, not because I as an individual go do Jesus-y things on my own, but because we are the body of Christ. And I think that wording and that terminology and that analogy that Jesus gives us is intentional, that we together are the body of Christ, living and working. And that's the extent to which he is living and working. And so what do we do? He says in verse um, 13, it's until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, right, to, to maturity, right? So he, he wants us to attain. Again, we're back to the unity of the faith. Like, again, this is a thing that we are so tempted to downplay. Again and again and again, we downplay it, but again and again and again, it's there. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified. He wants the unity of the Spirit. And so there is something that is so important that we do together that he's saying, this matters so much. You guys have to be united. And if you're not united, then this thing is not going to work. Because it's not about us being united so that we don't have peace and lack of disagreement, although that would certainly be nice, right? It's not about we all think and feel the same way. No, it's about there's a job, there's a thing that we're called to do. And so in order for that to happen, man, we have to be united and together and he uses this uh this picture this terminology of childhood versus adulthood okay he wants us to grow up into mature manhood or adulthood okay so we're to be a, a mature person and he says ultimately as we together not individuals but we together become this mature human being right 
He says, actually, that's the stature, um, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, okay? So he's saying, we're all a bunch of little individuals, right? And then we come together, and it's like, wow, we're growing up into a mature human being. And then when people kind of take a second look, they're like, hang on, that mature human being that they all came together to form looks actually a lot like Jesus. I think that's the idea. That's what maturity looks like. And so he's saying, we want to be mature adults. We want want to be not mature adults, but a mature adult uh, together, rather than being kids who are tossed around in the waves and and deceived and all these kinds of things. A mature adult versus um, immature kids. I'm always tempted to take this as immature kids because we don't know enough theology, immature kids because we're all kind of in our sins and those kinds of things. I think the actual, the maturity that he's talking about here as we grow up into maturity, is actually the immaturity is our individuality. Like as we're on our own, we're all these kind of little babies, right? But we get out of babyhood and into maturity by joining together into unity. And we're growing up. The body is making itself grow, is building itself up as we come together. And as we come together, we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's when we grow up into maturity. And so it feels like, man, We've been a bunch of individuals. It feels like, doesn't it, that the church has been kind of run by a bunch of babies for a while, right? Not this one, but every other church, of course. And it feels like our churches have been filled with just a whole bunch of babies, right? And so we're all just individuals, and Paul's saying, like, hey, hey, yes, the Spirit of God, but guys, that's pretty immature. It's pretty childlike and babyish that you're all just kind of doing your own thing. Let's go for maturity here, which looks like look at the people around you and recognize I cannot mature into what God's called me to be by myself. I just literally can't. And my only, if we look around this room, we say my only hope of maturity in the Lord is these specific people right here. Not some other Christian in South Carolina, not somebody, like not, not the church in a general vague sense, but no, these, these exact people that are sitting around us, this is my hope of maturity. As we look at each other and we say, man, the gifts that God has placed in you, that needs to shine. Like that needs to shine. You have something the spirit has entrusted in you and it needs to come forward and shine and so my my duty under the holy spirit is to say how do i kindle that into flame how do i lift that up and then you look back at me and you do the same thing how do i get those gifts to shine right and we're all just constantly doing it for each other to get ourselves to this place where we actually look and feel like jesus did in the midst of this world i think that is the calling not a bunch of little babies running around but us coming together and saying we can't do it on our own we have to do it together I want to close um, with this illustration. Um, so I want to ask, what, the, Pastor Ryan used this illustration a while back. So what, what's the most important piece of a puzzle? Okay, so let me just throw it out to you guys. What's the most important piece of a puzzle? Okay, the, okay, okay. I, somebody knows the answer, okay. But we're going to start with, I think I heard somebody say the corner piece, okay. Like one of the edges or probably the corner piece, okay. This is where we're starting. We could totally make an argument this is the most important piece of a puzzle, right. So that's, let's just think of it, that's Jesus, okay? So he and maybe the apostles, you know, like the edge pieces, but they kind of get the puzzle going, right? They get us started, and he gives us a place to build from there, right? So then we could ask, though, okay, what's the most important piece of the puzzle from there? It's, it's probably the one that's like, I'm working on building out this section. The most important piece is the one that connects to the part that I'm working on, right? And so I'd say, like, look around you, right? These are then the most important pieces because God's building something here. So who's here around us that needs to just kind of snap into that puzzle piece, right? Then as we go through, and this is the sense that um, Lisa was right. This is the sense in which Pastor Ryan was using this analogy. He, he was talking about how um, one of his sons would, when they'd start a puzzle, kind of slip a piece into his pocket at the beginning of the whole thing. 
and then you go and you build the puzzle, right? And you get finally at the end, and you know how satisfying it is to put that last piece in the puzzle, right? Just, oh, oh, here's the last one, right? What's the most important piece of the puzzle? It's the piece that's missing, right? It's the piece that you need to finish the puzzle. And so, yes, like, we're all puzzle pieces together that need to fit together, but also, uh, it, it's amazing to me how easy it is for us to forget how much God loves the people that are around us, the people that aren't here, right? And so to say, man, this puzzle will not be complete until those people come in. Part of it is because they need to experience the love of Jesus, and they need to experience Christian community and be blessed by it, right? But I think following Paul's analogy, there's people that the Lord is calling that are, that are not part of our church family. They're not part of any church family. They're out there, and, and it's not just that they need what we have to offer them, right? It's that we need what they are bringing as well, right? I can't be mature without God bringing them in and without them being clicked into this puzzle and this picture that shows us the fullness of who Christ is. And so just stepping back from the whole thing, like moving on, man, um, on one of our values, okay, we are trying to find life in Jesus together and invite other people to do the same thing. And as we do that, man, we value so much being shaped by the gospel and everything. We value so much, and Nathan will talk to us about this next week, um, a culture of love and invitation. It's so important. But also, we value each of us using our gifts as the Spirit of God empowers just knowing it, it's, it's poor stewardship. And, it's, and, it's, and I'm realizing for myself, it's poor stewardship if I sit here and I focus on my gifts. And I think, okay, how can I be a better preacher for you all? How can I be a better shepherd for you all? How can I, like, I can work on my gifts. And I, I think I have a God-given responsibility to do that. That's one tiny piece of it, right? The, the rest of it is all of us looking and saying, instead of building myself up, how can I empower each of you? Help you recognize that you are already empowered by the Spirit of God. How do I exalt that, lift that up? And then if we all join together in doing that, can you even imagine how amazing this place would be, this family would be, right? If we're all just looking at each other and we're calling out the different things that we see God doing and moving in each other. Man, it's a beautiful, exciting thing. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be pursuing that with all of you guys. I see, I see so much of it already. The reason these are our values is because we're seeing so much of this already. But we're just saying officially, this is where we're headed. This is what we're going for. We're going to continue singing, and uh, let's just take this to the Lord in prayer together a minute. Father, as we talk and, and read your word, and we, we process, Lord, what does it mean to be your people? I, I can't get over how powerful these images are of, of a body that is made of many members, a body that's diverse, a body that's quirky and unique and um, made up of all these insecure, uncertain, diverse people. But Lord, your picture is so beautiful, and I just thank you so much that I get to be a part of it. Thank you that you've brought us um, here to this family, that we can be here to support each other, to care for each other, to love each other well. I pray for all the other churches in our area and around our world that are doing these same things, and I pray, Lord, that, that your church would be a family. Um, here in our immediate family and, and elsewhere in our extended family, Lord, that we could be um, just see our need for each other, that we'd extend grace and love to each other, that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Thank you, Lord, that you bound us together. Help us to see that and to value it. Help us never to look at the people around us and devalue each other to the extent that we don't care what happens to each other or that we're not willing to invest. Break our hearts um, for the things that, that break yours and, and help us to care about the things that you care about. And so, Lord, continue to work, continue to move. We, we are all inadequate, but Lord, you are so, so powerful. And you do the miraculous all the time. And I pray that you would do that here in this place. Amen.
Christian Hansen.